0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, now we're going to turn our attention to God's word. And so we're beginning a new series exploring reconciliation in relationships. Now, I got to be honest and tell you kind of up front, there was a bit of a conflict that I had in my household yesterday. And so just to kind of share this with you in light of a series like this, um, it, it was one of those things that, that kind of happened suddenly but started small, you know, and just kind of like, okay, there's something happening here and you're kind of paying attention to it. Well, you know, it, the, the loudness sort of increased. And, and continued to progress and, and the temperature in the room started to rise. And so it's one of those things that's like, okay, we're going to have to deal with this. So I, I kind of step up and I've, I've got to confront this, you know, and, and face-to-face it, you know, that, that kind of thing, like I got I to gotta step up. And, and I'll be honest, it didn't, it didn't end all that well. It didn't go the way that I had hoped. And of course, I'm talking about our furnace going out yesterday. So, you know, okay, like, you know, I have to go deal with this thing. It's, this thing's getting loud and clanky, and I don't know what's going on. So I got to make phone calls and call a repairman, and sure enough, like, we're going to get something fixed here or whatever. But, um, you know, kind of dad jokes aside, right? Like, I'm baiting you on that. But I'm curious, like, as I'm sharing about this furnace issue, the language I'm using, while intentional and crafted, was something we could say about our relationships, Right? I mean, the literal temperature in the room was rising, like something's not right here. But we feel that too in our relationships when there's conflict, right? Like these are moments that we can experience like, okay, maybe it's a furnace and, and I need to have some mediation, maybe in the form of a sledgehammer. But like we sometimes need mediation in our relationships, right? Conflict, broken relationships, I want to contend with you that these things are a part of life. Conflict and broken relationships are just a fact that we all experience. That's why we're, we're doing this series. But maybe just to kind of illustrate this in, a, in another way, let me tell you another story. Let me tell you the story of Anna. Anna's a 27-year-old grad student, and she got the phone call that she knew was probably coming she got the phone call that her grandfather had passed away. And so sure enough, she flies home and gathers with her mom's family. Her mom is one of three siblings. She's got two older brothers. And, and uh, the family's all gathered, and they get together for the funeral, and they share stories. They cry together. They laugh. And they share a meal over green bean casserole and fried chicken. And, and they remember these different moments where they had with Grandpa. And she just loves being with her family. And this moment, she's, she's sitting there across the dinner table with this extended family, and she remembers those summer, hot summer days where they'd gather, they'd go swimming at the pool and have a barbecue. Like she just has prized memories of these experiences. Well, fast forward a couple of weeks, they're all sitting around a giant oak table in a, in a conference room, and they're hearing the reading of the will. And in a matter of five minutes, the siblings are screaming at each other. They're looking at each other and saying, How could you do this? And, and suddenly, those memories that she had of the pool parties in the summertime come crashing down. Five months later, she's sitting at the dinner table with her parents. They finished up the meal, and yet again, they're talking about the will. They haven't spoken to her uncles in five months. The small business that grandpa started isn't going to the person who they think it should. The land development that he had been working to do is now being parceled out, and they're not getting what they think they deserve. The money, the resources, everyone feels like is unfair, and they're not talking to one another. Anne is sitting here looking at this saying, how did it come to this? We have moments of conflict, of broken relationships, of these different times where things just don't go as they should. Maybe you know exactly what that will is like. Or maybe you know what it's like to have a friend do something to you that you're just like, I did not see that coming, and now I don't know what to do. I can't go see this person anymore. I don't know what I think about them. Maybe you have an estranged child. You haven't spoken to them in five years. You have no idea how they're doing. You're in a marriage where you're more like roommates than intimate life partners. You're walking life like kind of just, we have conflict and broken relationships. What are we to do about that? We're entering into a series where we want to explore this. And we're calling it Reconciled. We want to explore what does it look like for us to have reconciliation in our relationships. A couple series ago, we we preached a message and we preached in this series called Misinterpreted Verses, uh, where we were looking at different Bible passages that are often misunderstood or misapplied. And one of those came from Matthew 18. And it was a, a verse that talked about how where two or three are gathered, there I am, Jesus saying, there I am in your midst. And sometimes we misunderstand like, oh, that means he'll just do whatever we ask him if we're gathered together. But that verse actually came in the context of conflict resolution. He's making that promise when pursuing reconciliation. And we noticed something from that message. It struck a chord with us. It seemed to have some resonance. Conversations I had with us, with you all, just seemed to be like, yeah, maybe we need to dive a little deeper into this. And so we want to explore this series over five weeks. What does it look like for us to dive into reconciliation? particularly in our personal relationships? How do we as individuals navigate the relationships that we have to walk through each and every day? Now, there are those personal, individual kinds of dimensions. There's also communal. We live in a world where we are facing broken relationships systematically between people groups. Racism is still alive and well. Like, how do we pursue reconciliation in that? This series isn't necessarily going to address those kinds of questions because I think that conversation needs to be had on its own. So we're going to focus a little bit more on the personal, individual kind of side. But I'll say that some of the principles, some of the ideas we're going to discuss do translate across a variety of contexts. So our hope and goal is this. We want to overcome the barriers that we often face and pursue reconciliation with one another. I think what's happened sometimes is we face barriers. We we face challenges, things that kind of get in the way of us pursuing reconciliation. Whether it's fear. We're afraid that if we were to confront somebody to bring something up, it's not gonna go well. And so we're afraid, we don't wanna touch it, we avoid it. Or sometimes, maybe we like to be the victim. There's a certain power that comes with that. Someone hurt me, and others see that, and they agree. And so now, I've got some power. And maybe we like that. Maybe we like to be in that position where it's like, yep, I'm over somebody else. Sometimes we we operate in the wrong kinds of ways, like gossip. We don't talk to the person, but we talk about them. There are so many different ways that we avoid reconciliation, the goodness that it actually is. What we wanna do in this series is identify them and overcome them to pursue reconciliation. So we're gonna spend five weeks on this series and we're gonna do it kind of through this lens. We're gonna work through the question words, if you will. We're gonna explore the why, the what, the who, the how part one, and the how part two. That's how we're gonna tackle this series. So today, what I want to do is I want to answer the why question. Why should we pursue reconciliation? Like, what is this really all about? Like, why is it worth it? That's what I want to tackle today. And so, again, we're beginning with the premise that we all face conflict. We all face these moments where we need reconciliation. And so we want to dive right into that. But here, let me give you this one key idea that spurs us forward into this. Jesus, he talked about this. He talked about this in a simple statement, and Kevin actually referenced it. It comes from John 13, 35. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and here's what he says. By this, they will, you will know. They will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. If you love one another, if people see that. They're going to know, you're my disciples, you're my followers. How do we love in the context of conflict? Why is that important? Why should we pursue reconciliation? That is what we want to go after. So I invite you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at a letter that Paul, the the Apostle Paul, the famous Paul, wrote to a church in the city of Corinth. And what we're going to see is that he is tackling this question of of reconciliation head on. Why should we pursue it? What is that all about? Now, before we do, I I want to highlight two things. One, reconciliation. What are we really talking about? I want to give you just kind of a definition to get us working through our conversation through this series. So here it is. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship. It's the restoration of a relationship to healthy, flourishing, and appropriate. It's a relationship that's being restored back to the way it's supposed to be in the terms of healthy, in terms of flourishing, and in terms of appropriateness. As we go through this series, we're going to flesh out what that means. Now, there's going to be a couple of things that we'll talk about throughout this, but I want to say this real quick. Um, reconciliation is possible in so many different relationships, but sometimes it's not. And so we're going to nuance that. We're going to know like when can we and when can, cannot we. And that's what we're going to tackle over the course of the series. But let me particularly say this, where there's abuse where there's actual harm taking place. There's some unique things that we just need to address. So anything that I'm saying today may or may not translate to abuse situations. We're going to get to that, but maybe not today. So if you're walking away hearing me say a few certain things of like, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Abuse violates this. And sometimes abuse cannot get back to healthy, to flourishing, or to appropriate but we're gonna talk about how we know that and how to recognize it, okay? So this is what we're talking about. Reconciliation is this, it's restoration in these terms. Well, coming to 2 Corinthians, we're gonna look at a text here that actually happens in the context of a conflict. You know, some of these words might be familiar to you, but I wanna tell you before we read it, what was happening at the time so that we understand more of what Paul is talking about. So Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian church. This is a church that he planted. He came in, he shared the gospel, and people came to Jesus. And they started a church. Well, Paul eventually moved on, and he continued his relationship with them through other people and through correspondence. And so eventually he hears news that there's something that's not quite right happening, and so he writes a letter. And he writes a letter to address some of the situation. We actually don't have that letter. We don't know exactly what he wrote but the Corinthian church responds. They had their own letter that they sent back and they wanted to clarify a few things and they asked some further questions of Paul. Well, he responds in a second letter. This second letter is what we know as 1 Corinthians. We have that in our Bibles. This letter, Paul is addressing a number of the questions that they ask and a number of the situations that he's heard about, particularly one that I want to highlight there was a dynamic that had emerged in the church. There were some people who were leveraging their status, their wealth, their power, their position, to say like, oh, I'm better than you, so I should be calling the shots. We should do things my way. Because here, I'm I'm the wealthy one, so I get to say what happens here. And this dynamic was starting to devastate the church. Sin was starting to creep in. There was even one man who who thought his position warranted him a relationship with his stepmother. Paul's looking at all this and saying, no, 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 no. This is not how this goes. So he writes 1 Corinthians. It was not received well. News comes back to Paul, and things aren't good. So he decides, like, okay, I need to change my plans. And sure enough, he goes to visit kind of expedites this, this movement forward. And he, he just needs to go be present and work this out. And what happens is a painful visit, in Paul's words. Things do not go well. There is a fight between Paul and particularly another person. This person was attacking Paul and saying, like, he is not an apostle. He doesn't deserve our, to hear, for us to hear what he has to say. Like, he doesn't have authority. And sure enough, Paul has to leave because things got so bad. And he writes a third letter. And he calls this the severe letter. Where he calls the church to correction. He's like, how you're operating is not right. What's taking place there is not good. And he calls them to account. Sure enough, the church steps up they do actually realize where they've been wrong and, and they discipline this one member and, and some things turn the right way. And so there's at least four back and forths that we know. There might even be five, but Paul then says another letter in response to hearing this good news. That is is Second Corinthians. The book that we're gonna look at today is on the backside of the major mo- moment of conflict Paul has with the people of this church. And so what I want, I tell that to you to highlight something. Paul is writing in the midst of a conflict that is being resolved. So if you're not already there, turn your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like to look at verses 16 through 21. 16 through 21, would you follow along with me? So again, remember the context. Here's what Paul is writing. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul writes this to a church that he's been in a fight with. And here it is. Reconciliation. What I want to do is I want to walk through this passage and kind of pick apart a few different key ideas that help us understand The why of reconciliation. So I want you to look at verse 19 if you would. Right here in the second part of it. So God uh, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. What Paul is saying here is that there are sins that exist. People have sinned. Now what is he talking about? Well the language I like to use when I define sin is like people going their own way. We want to do things our way. Well, if we're in a relationship with God, who's our creator, who's our father and our Lord, and we want to do things our own way, we've broken the relationship. Paul is essentially saying here, we need to be reconciled with God. Things are not okay. They're not as they should be. We need to be reconciled. And and Paul is actually leveraging a lot of the Old Testament when he's thinking about this, not just in words that we're familiar with, But like he's building on a concept that God views his people as a spouse, as a bride. There's one place in particular I want to highlight. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 20. God is coming to the people of of Israel and saying these words to them. So Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 20. But a woman, but like a woman, unfaithful to her husband, so you Israel have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. It's like an unfaithful spouse. You you all are walking away from me. You have violated our relationship. You've gone your own way. Paul is saying, like, yeah, that's true of human beings. We're sinful in that we have rejected God, we've rejected our relationship with Him. We are not okay with God. But notice, that's not all that he says. Go back to verse 19. What does Paul say in the first part there? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. See, there are sins. We, we aren't in right relationship, but Ah, God is not content to leave it that way. What does he do? He sends Jesus. Jesus steps onto the scene and says, I'm going to restore the relationship. And what does he do? He comes in and trades places with us. See, Paul kind of captures that language in what he says a little later on in verse 21. Take a look at that. So in verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus, he he came in and he was the faithful one. He stayed true to his relationship with the Father. He comes in and says, like, here's what it looks like. But you're stuck. You've violated the relationship. You've broken it. But I'm going to trade places with you. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to take that brokenness and I'm going to put it on my shoulders. Put it in my body and it's going to be crucified with me. Jesus comes in and he says, I'll pay the debt. And there, our waywardness, our brokenness, our walking away from God is now paid for. It's now covered over, it is now forgiven. He takes our sin away. But not only that, Paul adds something else. How does he finish this verse? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This word is a pretty churchy word, right? Righteousness. We probably heard it, but like, what does it really mean? Well, it is a legal kind of term. Like we have right standing. We have been declared by the judge. Like, yes, you are absolved. You are in good standing. You are right. But that's not the only thing that it means. It's not just a legal term. It's actually also a relational one. Righteousness also means to be right with. Jesus, who was faithful, who did operate the relationship the way it's supposed to, he now gives that to us. You are now made right in relationship with me. We now have his righteousness. He trades places with us and swaps the bad stuff and gives us the good. This is what Jesus came to do. We are now in right standing with God. Paul captures this language in another place. In Romans chapter five, verse eight. I mean, he just right here in a pithy sort of way says this. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still unfaithful, Christ died for us. And why did he do that? Paul says it right here. It's his love. He loves us. Like the Old Testament in an unfaithful spouse, God says, no, 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 I'm not willing to forsake the marriage. I want to work it out. I want to repair the damage because I love you. And he says that to all of us. And he says it to you. He says it to you. This is, This, I I love you, and this is what I will do for you. I will die for you. God is in the business of restoring the relationship we have with him. So I want to pause here and give you kind of one key takeaway right out of the gate. It's this, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. Maybe for you, you're not sure if this is really true yet. You're here today and you're you're kind of interested in Jesus. You maybe go to church, maybe you don't, but you're here and you're hearing this. This is what Jesus wants to do with you, for you. He wants to be reconciled with you. Will you let him? Will you be reconciled with him? Will you turn to him and say, okay, I want the right relationship with you. Have you made that conscious choice? Because that's the call that Paul is putting before us. Be reconciled to God. Are you reconciled with him? Are you in right relationship with him? Paul is offering that to you. We're offering that to you. You can take that step right now. Turn to him. Be reconciled to God. Okay. But I need to highlight something for you. Logically, Reconciliation hasn't actually happened yet. There's another key piece that Paul highlights that we need to actually have reconciliation. Like, What does it actually look like for us to get there? Or, or what's needed to, to kind of take that next step? Because we're not actually there. Jesus has died for us. Maybe we, we received that, but it's not done. Well, what's that next piece? It comes in the beautiful verse 17. So look there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. See, Paul is using this new creation language. Back to Genesis creation. Now, new creation being remade. He's like coming in and saying, you, you are a new creation. You are made new. Things are not what they used to be. The old has gone. The language there in the Greek is literally passed away. And I can't help but hear the English phrase passed away. It's now dead. It's passed away. It's gone. Like it's been crucified with Jesus. It's dead. And then that next word, the new is here. The new has become, it has been born. We are now reborn, remade, born again. We are new creations. If we have received Jesus, this is what you are, a new creation. And now, if that's true, if we are a new creation, well, what does that mean? Back to verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What this is showing us is that things are now different. We don't operate in the old way. We don't do things the way that we see others doing, the way our, our world tends to operate. We don't swim in the same kind of waters anymore. We, we don't do, we don't, if there's conflicts like, oh, okay, I'm going to lord it over there. I'm, I'm going to gossip. We don't do it that way anymore. We do it a new way. Because we are new creations. And so what I want to highlight here is that Paul is pointing us to this reality that reconciliation requires change. Reconciliation requires change. We can't just say like, okay, you know, there was a a harm done, a damage in the relationship. I forgive you. Oh, thank you for that. But nothing changes. That is not reconciliation reconciliation has to produce change. So back to our definition, things that are flourishing, healthy, appropriate. We can't just go back to the way things work, like, oh, I forgive you, but then the patterns continue. That is not reconciliation. Things need to change. Things have changed for us. See, what we see here is that God is is coming in and saying, like, I forgive you, I pay your debt, I give you right standing with me. But now, you need to be made new. You need to change. And I'm going to help you do it. That's what new creation is. We no longer live according to the old patterns for the old way of things. We live according to the new. To the kingdom. To Jesus' coming reign. This is how things will be. We're aligned with that. We don't do things the way that we used to. Reconciliation requires change. Change. So, if you're in a context where there does need to be reconciliation, forgiveness can happen pretty quickly. Sometimes it's hard to get there, but it can happen. And that, I think, is something that is good and necessary. We'll talk more about that next week. But forgiveness is not the end of the story. If you forgive somebody or someone forgives you, it's like, okay, now we're all good. No, no, no. Things need to change. That's what Paul is pointing to. So, Here's another takeaway that I want to leave with you. Here's something that I want to declare over you. You are a new creation. That is who you are. That is what you are. Move towards greater reconciliation by ongoing change. If you are a new creation, then live like it. Pursue it. Move towards it. That is what Paul is calling us to do. Ongoing change. If you you have a moment where there needs to be reconciliation, there needs to be change that comes with it. So pursue that. Pursue that with God. Pursue that in your relationship with him. Continue to grow. He wants to help you do that. Move towards that change. So move towards greater reconciliation. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with us. It's not like, okay, I'm reconciled, like I'm good, like God and I're we're aligned together and we're we're doing pretty well. It actually doesn't stay there. See what else Paul says. Back to verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It doesn't just stay with us, there's actually movement outward. And this is what Paul talks about in the language of the ministry of reconciliation. We now pursue that with other people. We don't just stay with us. We do it with other people. See, Paul used that image of an ambassador. Well, what's an ambassador? Someone who represents a country or a people group or another person, right? They're a representative. And so when they go to a place, when they go to a country, they're saying like, okay, I'm representing the interest and what I look like represents my country or my people. So we, we are Christ's ambassadors in this way. If we've been reconciled, if we have that kind of relationship with Jesus, we're to model that in our relationships with other people. We're to show reconciliation. We're to pursue that with each other. That is what Paul is calling us to do. We are ambassadors. We have this call. We have this work to do to reconcile with one another. So we're to pursue that with each other as a model, as an example, and as an expression of our relationship with God. So we're to pursue reconciliation. So here's the final takeaway that I wanna give to you, and it's this. Identify where do you need to pursue reconciliation with others? Is there a relationship that you immediately think of like, yep, here's where I need to work on it? Here's where there's brokenness for me. Here's what I want you to do. Simply this, pray. Would you take the next seven days, literally, I'm asking seven days, and maybe it's just 30 seconds. Would you pray? Would you pray, Lord, help me in this relationship? I pray for this person. Maybe I'm the offended, they've hurt me. Or maybe I'm the offender. God, I want to pray about this relationship. Would you help me? And I'm just asking you for seven days to pray about it. Because in the rest of this series, we're going to explore what do we do with that? How do we identify this relationship? And what do we do to respond once we do? So would you commit the next seven days to pray about this reconciliation? But here's the big idea that I want you to walk away. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Here's the answer to the question, why? We have been reconciled to God. So we reconcile with one another. Conflict, it's a part of life. We have broken relationships. It's present and true. Sometimes we let things get in the way. Maybe we don't respond the way that that God wants us to we're going to dive into this series to open that up, to explore it. First, be reconciled to God. And once you are, move towards that reconciliation because you are a new creation. And then do that with other people. Identify, where do I need to be reconciled with another person? Start by praying about it. And come back next week. We're answering the question, why we've been reconciled to God? But then we're going to talk about what? What does this actually look like? And how do we do it? Who is the kind of person that does this? That's what we're going to tackle. But here's the big idea. We've been reconciled to God. So reconcile with each other. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you. Thank you that you have extended to us reconciliation. We no longer have to operate according to the old patterns but we have been restored in our relationship with you we've been reconciled and because of that we are made new we are new creation help us to live like it god i pray right now lord that you would bring to mind the one relationship or maybe the couple Where does there need to be restoration? Where does there need to be reconciliation? God, help us to pray simply this week about these relationships. Would we begin to come to you with them? Not try to fix it all right now, but rather to come to you seeking your wisdom, seeking your grace, seeking your courage. And Lord, would we take steps to begin to restore? God, I pray that wherever we are this morning, whatever relationship we might be thinking of, we give it to you in hope. You are a God that takes dead things and makes them alive. Would you do that, God, in these relationships? God, we pray we would pursue you as we pursue each other. We trust you, Lord, and it's in your name that we pray, amen.